It is interesting to consider all pieces of the story. Um, I know we focus in on one part of the story this season, but it really does connect all the dots. Uh, and it's amazing to just hear children tell this story. And I, I love when my, my kids repeat back to me the things that I have told them. Um, and it's interesting that Jesus says um, that to receive the kingdom, we must be like children, become like a child. And uh, I just hope you understand that that's not that you have to dumb down your thinking. I hope you understand that children are not marked for stupidity. They're marked for trust. They trust. They're trusting. When my kids look at me, they trust that I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to be all that they need me to be because they're children. And in so many ways, to hear the children tell this story as one that has been passed on to them by their parents, by their families, by their mentors, by the relationships that they have with people is so refreshing um, to know that you and I as adults, as cynical, jaded, experienced adults, get to receive the kingdom like a child, trusting. Uh, and so uh, it is that season where we walk into it, and I know I am Mr. Um, Bah humbug as much as the next guy when I see all the stores and all the running around and the chaos and all the things. But I also am reminded of why this story matters too. So I, I, I fight bah humbug with childlike faith. It's going, God, it's your story. <laughs> you did this. This is, this is your story. And it's so much bigger and greater than uh, a commercial for a gift could could talk about. And so, anyways, um, tonight, just two things for you, and both ways that we can be a part of giving uh, and this season. Um, on the back, there is a tree. Uh, back wall, there is a tree lit up, and there are a couple of big angels on those trees. On those angels are, uh, uh, whether they are a boy or a girl, and the age of that child. And these, these angels represent children from a local elementary school that my wife and I are connected to uh, that has, they have needs. They just have, they've got Christmas needs, they've got physical needs, they've got the needs uh, that every kid wants at Christmas time um, to have gifts given, but their families can't afford those things. And so on the back, uh, on those trees are those angels. And if you would be, be compelled to take one of those angels, and if you're like, but there's a lot on this list, I'm not so sure I can do this, maybe grab some people that you work with and just say, hey, I've got this angel that our church is connected to that they want to be able to provide for. Do it with people. Take your gel, get your gel group to do it together. Get your workmates to do it with you. Get your, uh, your roommates, whatever it is, come together and meet this need because it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for these kids to know they're loved and they're valued. And this is people they don't even know making these things possible for them. And so that is on the, that tree. I think there's only a couple left. A lot were taken this morning. Um, but on the back of the angel are all the instructions um, that you would need. So on the front of the angel are all the different needs, the sizes of the shirts, the shoes. Uh, if there is a need for a coat, they put what size the coat would need to be. There's the kids' Christmas wish list, which is also always my favorite part to make happen if we can. Um, but on the back side are instructions. If you're like, I don't necessarily know how this works, uh, but if you do purchase for this, this Christmas angel project that we're working on, uh, we'll need those things back by next Sunday. Or if you can't get it by next Sunday, you'll have to take it over to Hall Fletcher directly, and there's instructions on how to do that as well. Uh, and then the second thing is you will see an offering basket on the way out. Um, I don't know if some of you saw on Facebook, we posted through the church's Facebook page that, that we have a staff member who has a daughter who is head of housekeeping of one of the hotels in Gatlinburg. Um, their hotel is okay, um, but the 20 housekeeping employees that she has, every single one of them lost everything in the fire. 
um, apartment complexes burning to the ground, homes burning to the ground. And so on December 10th, she and her family are taking a drive over the mountain to go hook up with their daughter and make sure uh, that some of these families can be given gift cards because basically the city of Gatlinburg has said, stop sending stuff. We don't have stuff. We can't put it anywhere else. Like there's no place to keep all of it. So gift cards are really handy during this season. Uh, financially being able to help these families um, maintain as they get insurance questions worked out and all of those things. So uh, if you feel led to give, be a part of that and you have cash or check on you tonight, you can put it in that basket. All of that money will go over the mountain to Gatlinburg or you can go online and give and just memo it Gatlinburg uh, and we'll make sure it gets taken care of. Uh, but again, it is a season where I know we're all kind of wondering well, how are we going to spend our money? What are we going to do. Uh, I'm one who likes to say, tell your money what you want to do with it. Don't let your money dictate what you do. You say, I'm going to use this money, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to make this a priority. And I think that sometimes we just have to do that. Self, I don't need all that stuff, but I know there's people who have legitimate needs. And so sometimes I have to talk it up real hard because I'm getting tent. I'm like, I, but I want that phone, or I want that thing. But do I, no, I don't know. No, it's not going to control me. Money, you ain't going to run me. Um, anyways, whatever. I'm just having a conversation with myself now. So, um, but anyways, thank you for being a part of this. And if you have any questions, please feel free uh, and ask me. And I'd love to journey with you on that. So, Mary, where are you? Right there. Luke 1, 5 through 25. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife, well, she's well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then he realized, then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. 
When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. <clears throat> By a show of hands, how many of you just love waiting? Anybody? It's one of you, and it's a lie. <laughs> this morning it was pretty hilarious because everyone was like, did he just ask if we like waiting? Um, but I, 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 I haven't done the scientific research to back this up, and I don't have the statistics, but I'd say one out of one probably hates waiting. Uh, I'm cl- I'm, I may be off, give or take a couple percent, but still, one out of one, I think, hates the idea of waiting. Um, I, I, I know that for me, uh, when the announcement of the new Star Wars series came out, uh, I got really excited, and then I got really angry, because they said, oh, three years from now. And I remember being like, no, 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 no. See, what, what you should do is spring it on me, that you've got this series of Star Wars movies ready to release, and tell me a week before it happens. That way I can just get it on my calendar, get the tickets purchased. But now you're telling me these things three years in advance. And I do not like that. And I'm going to assume uh, most of you are probably not good at waiting. Um, I watch my children and I see myself. They are not good at waiting. Uh, I watch people in traffic. They are not good at waiting. I watch people in fast food lines. They are not good at waiting. Uh, just consider the last text message you sent. If you didn't see that little talk bubble pop up as soon as you sent your text and those little dot, dot, dots, you're like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you responding? That's, I mean, that's just how we do it. Um, fast food is designed to get people in and out. When Jimmy John's came out, I remember going over there, and one of their slogans is freakishly fast, right? I mean, and so I paid for my meal. I walked down that short buffet thing, and I was right at the end, and they were like, boom, sandwich is ready. And I was like, that was freakishly fast. And they were like, we've never heard that before, but I just had to say it and because uh, it's their slogan. But, um, but we rush order things. Like, we, we, we do Amazon Prime because we don't like to wait. Like, I have the two-day option. Like... And I have a one-day option, and there are days that I can actually order it, and if you order it within five minutes, you can get it that same day. Like, we do not wait as a culture. We, we hate it. We hate the idea of it. Um, if our phone is dragging, what do we do? Ah, it's a piece of junk. I got to get a new one because it took two seconds for my app to open. Uh, I can't remember what comedian was mentioning it, but he was like, you know, when you're like, my phone is being slow... It's sending a message to space. Give it a second, okay? Uh, like, I love that concept. We're just, we're just, I'm not good at waiting. You're probably not good at waiting. And we're just not waiting people. And then you start reading the Bible. And you start seeing just how much waiting goes on in the Scriptures. Psalm 27, 14. I mean, you could pick up, I mean, they're all over the Old Testament. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Ever have to be brave and courageous while you wait? I, I, I do all the time. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Ain't nobody got time for that, God. Ain't nobody got time to wait. Lord, Jesus is a fire. I don't got time to wait. I mean, that's kind of how we roll. That's what we do. That's how we say things. You know, and then when you see wait patiently, you're like, patiently? Is that an English word? What word are you speaking? 
Did you make that word up? I've never heard this word. Passionately? Passion? How do you say it? We don't like the idea of waiting. That's all I can say. And uh, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy season for us. Um, there is a, a page in most Christian Bibles that is a fascinating page to me. And if you're not careful, you'll fly right by it. And most of you probably do. You may or may not have ever seen this page. But it is this page right between the last verses of the book of Malachi, which is in the Old Testament, and the first verses found in the book of Matthew. And you probably, if you even see this page, you may or may not see this page in your readings, but you're probably just like... I just want you to know, you just, over 400 years... 400 years. Uh, behold, another destruction. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. This page is a hard page in the scriptures. If you consider being a people who waited on the Lord, from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when the Lord reveals this rescue plan for there to be a serpent crusher, if you will, down the line to Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Moses and then the prophets through the Old Testament, if there was one thing the people of Israel understood, it was that they were to wait on the Lord. It was that you will wait on Him, ultimately for your deliverance now, but also for a future deliverance, meaning that one day there will be a king on a throne that will endure forever, and you are the people of that promised king. Now, if you're Israel, you're looking around going, how is that even possible? We're under the rule of this guy and this guy, and every other day it seems like some other nation's coming in and taking us over, and we're, we're running, and we're hiding, and we're being scattered, and we're in exile. How is this possible? Wait on the Lord. This page has always fascinated me because in between the Old and the New Testaments, the people of Israel waited with silence. How many of you like waiting and not hearing from the person that you're waiting on? How many of you like waiting when somebody says, hey, can we, can we meet? But I can't meet with you for like seven days. And then what does your brain do? It starts to have all the conversations like, what do they want to meet about? What do they want to talk about? What are they going to bring up? This might be a hard meeting. What are they going to say? And then you start having all of these imaginary conversations in your brain, justifying yourself in every way possible. Like, I wouldn't have done that. If I, but but it's, not a, it's a fake conversation. But it's the silence that kills us. Like the waiting with nothing. And see, the people of Israel, at least in their waiting, they had the prophets. They had the people speaking for the Lord saying, look, you guys are you're living in a way that is not of God's people. Come back to him. Return to him. Come home to him. The Lord is saying, come back, come back, come back. And then nothing. Silence. No new words from the Lord. No return to me. No nothing. Four hundred years. You know there's a lot that can happen in four hundred years, right? Like a lot. Like 
wars and famines and peace and, and, and um, life and death and births and, and, and teachings and religious thoughts that come in with the winds and all over the place and countries and empires and war and they, they can rise and they can fall and there's a lot that happens in 400 years but I don't know if we think about that. These were a people completely dependent on waiting on the Lord. This page right here. 400 years between the last words to the story of Jesus showing up in the breadbasket of the Middle East. This is where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1. Um, and if you don't, uh, if you're not an ESPN ticker type person, like you don't want to see just the score, you want to see every play, every highlight, Luke's gospel is where you want to spend your time. Luke has the head of a historian. Uh, he was a doctor. He researched things. And we know in the first four verses of Luke, he explains, I've investigated everything carefully. I have gone and had conversations and I have done the looking and the digging so that you can be certain of all that you have heard. And we know that Luke must have had access to some, some people who knew the inner workings because the first two chapters of Luke are rather intimate details. Moments spoken to a barren family, to a, a girl alone being told she will have a child and he will be called Emmanuel. And so Luke, as a doctor, I'm sure he told many birth stories, but these two would stand apart, head and shoulders, above any other birth story that he would be able to tell. And many would say that if you were to take one verse out of Luke's gospel, the main words would be, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus interrupts people and he emphasizes this. There is hope, there is, there is life, there is new life, there is possibility for people who are on the fringes and who are on the outside who think everything is over. But when Jesus interrupts with hope, he interrupts their waiting with new life. Over and over and over, you see Jesus interrupting people who are common folk, who are not wealthy, who are not the most educated, who are not most, uh, most decorated, most athletic, most good-looking. Most... He interrupts everyone. And that's what's so mind-boggling about the gospel, is that Jesus actually becomes what is this stumbling stone to people. You actually stumble over him, and in stumbling over him, everything breaks. All that we hope and think is important kind of shatters at the stumbling over the truth of Jesus. So when I say Jesus interrupts with hope, I really do mean he interrupts. Um, I counseled with this uh, couple one year before they got married, and the, they, were, they had both just become Christ followers and I mean, I feel like I can use this with you guys, but she simply said, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. I've never heard a clear communication of the gospel than that. 
Because when one believes that, hey, I got to live my life this way and I got to live for this and I got to have all these things and I got to have all this stuff and these things need to define me, and then you hear, no, 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 there is another way. And let's say you compound that by doing that for 40 or 50 or 60 years of your life. And then you hear that I have been living for this thing and this stuff that will not satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. I've just wasted my life. But see, the beauty of God is that he does not waste our waiting. It's in our understanding that none of those things satisfy that he's actually beginning to do his work where he's calling people home. This finding dissatisfaction with the things of the world is him stirring his people to go, if this isn't satisfying and what you're waiting on isn't enough, then maybe, then maybe what Jesus is calling us to himself is what we were made for. And so as you look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I don't know if you um, are familiar with the, the story of John the Baptist's parents, but Zechariah was, was a priest of the order of Abijah, and it's this, the, the way it worked was, and you can trace this lineage all the way back to David, and so Abijah f- would like served in David's courts, like King David, the David that, that everybody knows about. It was King David who separated all the tribes of the priests into 24 groups. Uh, and so each of these guys had a turn serving in the temple. And it just happened to be Zechariah's turn on this day, on this night. And they drew lots to see what who go and stand in the altar of incense. And this is not the same altar that everybody talks about where the high priest would go and make all the sacrifices, where that, you know, that big curtain was torn in two when you listen to the story um, of Jesus' death on the cross. This is not that, uh, that altar. This is outside that altar with the incense where they burn it. And it's supposed to be symbolic of all the prayers of all the people going up to God. And, and namely, as they drew these lots, it wasn't out of fear. Like sometimes I think we're like, oh, they're drawing lots. They, who gets the short straw? The beauty of this picture is that this drawing of this lot, it was a privilege that was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to step behind this curtain. There were so many priests, and they only served two times out of the year that they would draw lots. And it was just happened to be Zechariah who drew the lot to go stand behind this curtain and cry out to God on behalf of the people. And chances are the prayer that he was praying was, God, have mercy, and God, remember your people. God, have mercy and move on our behalf. God, have mercy and do what you said you're going to do. Bring those promises to life. Make them happen, God. Bring us rescue. And it just happened to be that he and his wife did not have any children. If you can start piecing this together in God's economy, the beauty of the way he works is he does not waste a thing. And so you have this this announcement about a child that is going to announce another child. And Jesus would say of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. The last four verses of the Old Testament describe John. The last four verses in the book of Malachi point to John. 
Zechariah knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the prophets. He knew the wisdom and the words that had been spoken. And he had been praying for these very things to come to pass. And it was a once in a lifetime moment that Zechariah would step behind that curtain and cry out to God, have mercy and remember your people. Go into action on our behalf. This is when the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, I, ho- I don't know your views on angels, um, but let me tell you this. They don't wear diapers and, and fly around naked baby-like with a little bow and arrow. When you see an angel show up in the scriptures, what happens? People fall down dead. They are so scared. All right? Fat baby angel with baby uh, diapers on shows up with me. I'm like, what is that? You're doing the same thing, guys. Okay, come on. When these angels show up, game over, people hit the ground. And nine times out of ten, an angel says, don't be afraid. That's the first thing they say. There's a reason they say that. You know why? Because we're scared. That's why. And so Gabriel standing at the altar shows up. Zechariah's like, what? What's going on? And this is, this is where the interruption of an announcement that you're going to have a kid. Now, my guess is Zechariah was probably like picking himself up off the ground and then he hears, you're going to have a kid. And then he's back down on the ground and then he's back up again. And he's this whole, this whole game of being down on the ground and getting back up. But the beauty of this announcement is not just that Elizabeth and Zechariah would have joy and gladness. Gabriel continues and says, your child is going to cause many people to rejoice. Your child is not just going to be a normal child, but he is a special child in the line of the promise of God. And he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. He will actually prepare the way for the Lord, people to know their king. He will actually cause people who are rebels... Rebellious, running from, rebelling, reveling people to believe and trust godly wisdom. There is no greater turn, folks. I've seen it. It is an incredible turning when someone who has been running their whole life finally says, God, I believe you. I believe that you are who you say you are. And so in all of this announcing, Zechariah is probably picking himself off the floor a couple of times through the whole thing. And then this, as Zechariah, and, and he's in there, and he's in there behind the curtain. And, and see, this is where pride and probably like just stupid thoughts come into play. But, but can you imagine being like all the priests talking to each other, being like, man, I hope, I hope it's me behind that curtain when the Lord decides to do something because then when he does it, it was me who was behind the, behind the curtain and then I'll, people want a book deal and then people will follow me on Twitter and then I'm going to be the guy as known as the one who was in there when everything started going down and no, probably not. That's just stupid. But, but still, Zechariah knows when he goes to stand behind that curtain what he's asking. But remember, 400 years of silence. How much cynicism had sunk in? How much routine might have sunk in? How much doubt or is this even something that's going to happen might have sunk in, slowly starting to affect him. Now we know that it didn't affect his love for the Lord because they were righteous in God's eyes and they loved his word. 
and they obeyed his commands. But I can imagine that as Zechariah and Elizabeth sat in their homes, quiet because they had no children, there were moments of question and doubt and fear and all the words that the community might be speaking about them. Well, they don't have kids, so they must be doing something wrong in God's eyes. They don't have kids, well, they must be off on this or shame on this. And what we know of this story is that it wasn't about shame, but it was about the glory of God. That they were not being punished, but that God had actually set them aside for something so special that it would be behind a curtain that Gabriel would announce, hey, you're going to have a kid, and he's going to change things, and he's going to prepare the way for the one who is changing everything. Yet Zechariah, in all of his wisdom, in verse 18, says this, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. You know, I think we want to get mad at him for saying that. We want to be like, dude, are you kidding me? But seriously, I wonder how many times he counseled or sat with a couple who had no children. And he had to tell them, trust the Lord. I wonder how many times he sat having to tell the story of Abraham and Sarah, or Samson's parents, or, or Samuel's parents. How many times did he have to tell the people, hey, God is faithful and he does what he's going to do. And yet, knowing at home, he's probably prayed that he and his wife would have a child. And in their very old age, could they have given up hope? I don't know. But I know that it probably was very difficult to counsel people in the ways of trusting the Lord when they themselves thought, maybe, maybe it's over for us. And so I can't get mad at him, but I love what Gabriel does. Gabriel just looks at him and like, excuse me? How can you know this is going to happen? Do you know who I am? Like, I stand in the presence of God. Like, he tells me things, then I come and tell you tell the things that he told me. Like, do you have any clue? Are you serious? You're asking me? How can you know this is true? How about this, Zechariah? You talk too much. No more talking for you. All you're going to do is listen. You're just going to be able to listen. You're a pastor. You run your mouth all the time. You're always talk, talk, talking. But now you're not going to say a word. This is going to be fantastic. This is going to be so great. How do you know this is going to be true? So funny because I... I hate letting you guys in on the way my brain works, but I, the way I saw Gabriel leaving was like as he's walking out, he's like, how do I know this is true? He flies up. <laughs> kidding me? Wait, no, this is, I don't know why this is, this is ridiculous, but still. He probably didn't use his arms. He probably had like these mighty wings <laughs> behind him or something. Um, but then what would be, to me, even more humorous is when he actually, Zechariah steps out from behind the curtain he can't speak. And he's just seen something so incredible, and he can't talk about it. And so my guess is Gabriel's probably hovering going, let's see how he tries to do this. And Zechariah's like... And the people just kind of figure, this dude's either wasted or he's all an angel. I'm assuming that's what they said, because 
Nine times out of ten people are accused of being drunk when they're praying in the Bible. So, so these people figure out, <laughs> they figure out he's probably seen a vision from the Lord. And then the rest of the story kind of goes away quietly. Zechariah finishes serving and he goes back home, quiet. <laughs> and just as Gabriel said it would happen, Elizabeth does get pregnant. She goes into hiding for five months, probably to just avoid all the talk. I mean, seriously, a woman well up in her age, having a child, was, people like to talk, people like to gossip, people like to suggest things. And so she goes into hiding, but one of the things, the last thing that we have her saying is how kind the Lord is to me. He's taken away all my shame. How kind the Lord is to me, and he has taken away all my shame. And I don't know for you guys tonight if you're in a despairing place as you wait, as this couple may have been, or maybe you're just waiting as one of the people outside the curtains. But you're waiting on the Lord to move, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and some of you are still waiting, and maybe you're like Moses, and Moses waited for 40 years to do what? Wait another 40 years on the Lord. Waiting... Waiting. But what if the Lord uses our waiting? What if how we wait really matters to God? What if how we wait actually is more so the reward than what we're waiting for? Because I know in our waiting, the Lord actually is able to shape us into who he wants us to be. And if God's purpose is for himself, a people who look like Jesus, in the waiting, the shaping is happening. So actually what God desires for us is happening in waiting. But see, our desires may be different than God's. And I think that's where we get upset. To know that it's God's good purpose and plan to turn us into the image of Christ. To know that he doesn't waste any of our waiting. That he doesn't waste any of the hard things, any of the circumstances, any of the story that we have walked through, that we have journeyed through. He wastes none of it. And that he's actually, actually accomplishing his purposes in our waiting. And that is transforming us into a people who look like his son. As we close this evening in worship... I don't know if you think this way or not, but I, I, I just kind of thought more about Elizabeth sitting around with younger women who may or may not have children while she is holding this infant of hers. I can imagine Elizabeth sitting there with this child and the women just kind of looking like, this is really weird. Like, you're really old. Like, you should be an abuela to my kids, old. Like, but you're holding your own child. And I can imagine Elizabeth going, yeah, this freaks me out too. <laughs> but I can remember the years this wasn't going on. I can remember all the doubting, all the struggle, all the fear, all the thoughts of, 
I'm never going to have a child. I can imagine the stories that she would tell to these younger women who probably had no problems getting pregnant or these women who didn't have kids yet. And they would, what she was doing was she was telling the story of God's faithfulness to another generation. That in her waiting, the Lord never let her go. That in her waiting, the Lord heard her cries. And he answered him in his own timing. And it had blown her mind as to how the Lord chose to answer their prayers. And for you and I, I can guess that as she sat around those tables, there were probably the people suggesting, why didn't you just give up? Like, why didn't you just walk away from the Lord? Like, why didn't you just throw in the towel? Because it was clear that he didn't care about you and you cared about him. I mean, you lived by his command, you loved his word, but you didn't have the one thing your heart desired. Why didn't you just throw it all away and just move on and live your life? And I can imagine her saying, I just love his word because his word leads to life. And there's no life without his word. Granted, I may not have had all I wanted in that moment, but I knew that the Lord knew what I needed. And now I'm holding this kid who's going to be the announcement for the one who's going to come and change everything. I could not have written a better story. (laughs) And so, although we find ourselves wrapped up in waiting... Some of you might be angry in your waiting. Some of you are impatient. You're stubborn. You're tempted to take over, if you will. Take over from, from all the control because you're, done, you're just done waiting. As a Christ follower, we can take comfort. As in Paul's words to the Romans, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. At the end of the day, in our waiting, to know that should we not get the thing we desire most on this earth, that there is the depth, the width, the breadth, the height of the riches of the gospel that we will forever be able to explore in eternity because he called us to himself. That matters most. And some days, that is all you have to go on in your waiting. Because in waiting, there are painful circumstances. There are struggling circumstances. There are things that are shifting sand. But the truth is, God wastes none of it. And I, I hope Christ followers can stop picturing God at the end of the tunnel of their struggle or the end of their tunnel in the waiting and that I just, oh, I made it to you now that I have all that I've always wanted and that we'll understand that he's with us in the tunnel. My favorite name for Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, one of the, the most pat prayers we pray as Christians that I don't necessarily think we think about is God be with me today. Do you know his name is? God with us? Like, he's there. And I think we forget that when things are hard and things are tough, that we're like, well, he's not with me now because things are hard and things are tough. If he's with me, then things will be easy. And the truth is, 
Sometimes they're not. But we do know that in our waiting, God delivers his people. And on this side of eternity, or in eternity, we know that he has pulled his people to himself through Christ Jesus. How believers go through seasons of waiting is important, but more importantly is that gladness and joy that would be announced by Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. Elizabeth's announcement about the kindness of the Lord is something that you and I all realize through faith in Christ. She said, how kind is the Lord and all my shame is gone. This is what Jesus has done. This is the hope of the Christ follower. This is what Christianity is about. This declaration of how kind is the Lord and all my shame is gone. All my sin, all my strife, all my straining against God, running away from Him, fighting Him, fist, I mean just over and over fighting Him to know that Christ has made possible a way home for rebels. And so when I tell you that when Jesus interrupts, things come shattering and crashing down, it's not all fairy dust and sprinkles and skittles and rainbows and unicorns when Jesus shows up. But if his word is true, he alone has the words of life because he speaks everything the Father tells him to speak. I know that we don't always like interruptions, but when Jesus does interrupt, people get put back together. Homes can be restored. Relationships can be mended. Addictions broken. And most importantly, rebels are reunited as children to their Heavenly Father. I hope that as we talk about hope, as we consider hope, as we consider interruptions, as we consider this time of waiting in Luke's gospel, that you know that in the waiting, God is shaping and he is at work. That is something you and I as Christ followers can put our hope in. Is that even though I'm despairing, even though I want to see God do something and it hasn't happened yet, I can trust that he is at work even when I can't see it. And that's why we run to the scripture and we can like, like Elizabeth, man, I just, I love his words because they lead to life. And so during this season, I fight hard against that. I want to be impatient and I want to take control, but maybe consider the life of the people that are found in the scriptures that waited on the Lord and trusted him at the end of the day. Father, we love you, and I just ask that in these moments as we wait, Lord, you know where we're at. You know what we're waiting on. You know what we're waiting through. You know what we're waiting for. And I do pray that, Lord, you would either A, show us that what we're waiting on isn't that great in reality, or B, that you would, you would shape us more and more to the image of your Son through our waiting. God, I know you don't waste any of it. And I just ask that as your people somehow, somehow, we would see you at work. God, I know that there are moments when we just, we want to cry out, how long, O oh Lord? How long? And I pray that you would meet us with yourself. You may not meet us with the answer we want to hear, but if you'll meet us with yourself, we'll be all right. It's in your name we pray.